This is Over the Ledge. On 98.1 WQAQ. Welcome into another episode of Over the Ledge, episode 32. I'm your co-host, Connor Core, alongside Cameron Lavaster, the second episode of our Over the Summer series, if you want to call it that. Uh, a lot of stuff happened in the NBA world and in the NFL world as well. But first, I'll ask you, Cameron, how's your summer been going since I last talked to you? It's been pretty good, pretty good. It's pretty warm out here in Maine, so get, getting lots of sun, being outside a lot, you know, ready to start my internship tomorrow or I guess like yesterday when this gets uploaded but it's been a pretty good summer so far yeah i already got i already got my farmer's tan from working outside the first few weeks i'm already, I'm already peeling it's not a good you are, sight you right are now. red i can see it right now oh yeah i'm just been i'm just sweating right now it's like i think to yesterday when this came out obviously yesterday it was supposed to be a high of 89 so very hot and humid down here down in the south if you will for you would, would you like to tell the listeners what you're wearing for a shirt right now? Uh, yeah. So obviously the Miami Heat lost to the Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, very disappointed. Um, but, you know, I had my night of grieving and I moved on. So I thought I'd enlighten Cameron with my Boston Celtics T-shirt jersey that I have. I won't mention who the player's jersey it's supposed to be. But right now I have the blue uh scotch tape over, over top of the last name and put Peyton Pritchard's last name because it's number 11 um I think we should probably take a screenshot of this and probably post it like Instagram or something like that we'll, we'll take care of that after the fact but um yeah I thought I'd give you a little boost of confidence heading into the NBA finals so I guess you're welcome for that I appreciate it I appreciate it that's, that's probably a good segue to jump right into the series right now yeah that's exactly cool. exactly what I was planning for the entire time actually no. game seven last night wasn't the most interesting game in the world until about the last minute of the game. But what were your, what were your thoughts on it initially going through it? Uh, during that last minute or after the game, the whole game overall. Yeah. So the whole game, uh, you know, it kind of turned out to be, you know, what we kind of expected throughout these series where, you know, the Celtics would go on a run at the beginning of this game and then the heat would be clawing back the entire game. It, it happened right away. And, you know, Jimmy buckets went off for 18 in the second, 18 in the second quarter, I believe. And, you know, I was getting like I, they were down by like almost 20 points at one point. I'm like, all right, there's still a whole other half of the basketball to be played. But then in that last like three minutes, last like minute, two minute, three minute, that span of time, they were up by like 15 or 11 to 15 points somewhere in there. And I was like, oh, no, here we go. The, the Heat aren't going to be able to come back. Let's pack it in for the offseason. And then all of a sudden the Miami Heat go off on an 11 – <clears throat> excuse me they go off on like an 11-0 run and all of a sudden they're down by like two with like I don't even know how much time left and then I was like all right here we go uh let's get a ticket to San Francisco let's let's get this ball rolling you know game seven at home we're, we're gonna take this thing for the win and then you know Jimmy Butler gets the rebound with 20 seconds remaining dribbles down the court has Al Horford in front of him backing up into the lane and I'm like oh, no, he's going to shoot this right now. And it looked good when it came off of his hand. But then, obviously, you know, everyone knows the story. You know, it clinked off the left side of the rim, uh, and that was basically the game. And, you know, it's very unfortunate. Uh, if I had, like, a, a video of me going, I was, like, banging my head with both hands for 
few minutes. Very disappointed with the outcome of the game, but you know that's kind of been like a controversy throughout this entire se- the entire days leading up after the game. Like where oh should Jimmy Butler have shot that shot with when he could have gone for the win or just gone to overtime? But I'm okay with the shot. Um, uh, it's obviously unfortunate how the series ended. Game seven, Boston winning in Miami, but. To be fair, Boston very much did deserve to go to the NBA Finals as much as any other team that they played up against. So, very disappointed. Long-winded answer for sure. Yeah, I, I think I think if I'm a Heat fan, I think I can I, I can live with Jimmy Butler taking that shot. Yeah. I mean, you look at it. He sat. He didn't. He didn't sit at all in Game Seven. He played all 48 minutes. He played 48 minutes. I think in Game Six, yeah. he carried the team in both games at 48 in Game Six, 35 in Game Seven. They were living and dying by Jimmy Butler. If it, if this was a game that went to overtime, if he drove by Al Horford, had the energy to do that, gets to the basket, gets sends the game to overtime, who knows if he has the energy to continue to be that dominant, aggressive player. And he's hit some clutch threes in the series. He he made four, I believe, in game six. So yeah, that's, he made four. And, and given how much of a clutch player is Jimmy Butler is, I'm I'm okay with him taking that shot. It goes Sometimes it goes in, sometimes it doesn't. Here's an example where it, it doesn't go in and the whole internet's clowning you for it. But it's it's the same thing with like if it went in, you wouldn't be calling it a bad shot. It's it's oh, yeah. you look at that shot Dame had over Paul George in like 2019, I think, in the first round. That was a oh, terrible yeah. shot, but it went in. So nobody's oh, yeah. calling it. I own a Damian Lillard jersey because of that shot. <laughs> so it's 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 a matter of like if he made that shot, everybody's everybody's loving him for it. He's he's being celebrated for days for that. So it's it's I can live with that shot as yeah, if I and, was and I, I was feeling good about it too because earlier in the game, I think it was like late in the second quarter, he did the exact same thing on the opposite side of the court. And I was and he made that and I was like, All right, Jimmy's feeling it tonight. He's feeling it from behind the arc. Then and when he came up to that, I was like, All right, I'm feeling pretty confident about this. It goes in. I'm like ha- I'm like half of the country that's a Miami Heat fan, and we're just like sitting back waiting for it to the crowd to go crazy in the arena and down in Miami, and that didn't happen. So, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. I'm happy with the shot. Like he he said in his post game press conference, he was going for the win. He didn't want to play for overtime, and rightfully so. Like you said, playing the entire 48 minutes of the game, the last thing he wanted to do was play for an extra. I think is it what six minutes in overtime in the NBA. Isn't it 10 minutes? Oh, is it 10? Well, nonetheless, he would he didn't want to play any longer than what he already has. But, you know, I'm okay with the shot at the end of the day. And I know it's going to be talked about for a while until the game gets get, – finals get going on on Thursday. Yeah, I think, I think the bigger concern if you're a Heat fan here is how he was the only one that showed up in game six and him and Bam were the only ones that showed up in game seven. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't win a series. You can't win a key game like a game seven if you don't have – your depth guys showing up and Kyle Lowry shot four for 12. He had a lot of free throws, but that was one of the most annoying games I've ever watched from a player in my life. Max Truce was invisible for most of the game until he hit that clutch three. And then obviously there's some other controversy that we're probably going to talk about there in a minute. Yeah. But I mean, Victor Oladipo, he he didn't have a great game either. Gabe Vincent, pretty invisible. Tyler Harrow, obviously he only played six minutes, but yeah, but when he was in the game, he didn't do anything. I mean, PJ Tucker played terrible. Yeah. You can't win when all your all your depth guys are playing like that. And we talked about it coming into the series last our last episode that both teams were going to rely on the secondary scoring from their bench players. And in game seven, both players only both coaches only went three deep on their bench because they knew that they would be able to rely production on that. And the Celtics obviously got more production out of their bench than the Heat did the entire series. I mean, like in games four and five were absolutely awful. Like 
terrible. The Heat scored 80 and 83 points in the series. And it's maybe credit to Boston, or it's probably more to the Heat that they just couldn't find the bottom of the net at the end of the day. And don't get me wrong, the Celtics have an amazing defense, but when when you're going two games and you're scoring under 85 points, that's cause for concern. And that's something that they're gonna have to address in the offseason for sure. Yeah, it's also it's it's also like th- there's a number of other things that like went wrong in that game for them. They couldn't make their free throws either. I think they made missed eight free throws in the first half or something like that. Like yeah, that's I think they were 10 for 18. In game seven. Yeah. And also like even just watching the game, like the lack of energy that they came out with to start that game. Like it's, it seemed like it was like a regular season game to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can't be having that in a game seven. And like everyone was saying, lead it up to the game seven, that it's the two greatest words in all of sports, a game seven. Like when you come out flat like that in the games, that's never a good sign for the team. And the, when the heat, they've consistently not come out. Uh, they've consistently come out flat, excuse me. And that's forced them to claw back. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it isn't. And that's one of the things that, you know, they realize is that in game seven, they shot 20% from three. And a lot of those shots weren't great shots. Some of them were wide open. They were still missing. There was Victor Oladipo took a 30, like 32, 33 foot three pointer. Yeah. Cause he was trying to go with for like, like two 20 for seconds left in the shot clock. Yeah. Cause they were trying to go for a two and one at that two for one at that point. But by the time he shot, it, it was already at 27 seconds. So it was basically just a one, sh- one sh- possession game at the end of the half. I think it was, I think it was the end of the second quarter. But like for the best team to shoot the best team in the league in the regular season to shoot with the best three point field goal percentage to only shoot 20% in a game seven. It's unacceptable. It's, it's unacceptable. It's right. It's unacceptable. I, I, I think, go ahead. I, I think there's another, another bit of controversy that we want to touch on here in that, that Max Drew's three pointer that was taken away. Do you, so I don't think his foot was on the line. I, I, I zoomed in on the screenshot and like his heel was, grazing over top of the line and i don't think there's enough evidence in my eyes to you know take that call off but obviously the people in the re- replay officials thought differently yeah i've it's it's a thing where like it doesn't look like it and obviously his foot like from a different angle that we don't have it could it could very well be on the line and it's it's that close where like it, it could be touching the line and it just doesn't look like it was but even as a Celtics fan, I don't think there's enough there to overturn that call. I've I've literally never seen that done in my entire life. Yeah, where they've like, overturned where, a call. Yeah. Well, not like you've seen it where like they take a three, make it a two, but I've never seen it where it's like three, four minutes later, and like after after a timeout or whatever, they're like, yeah, we're just we're taking away his three pointer entirely. Yeah, I'm watching the video right now as you, we speak, and in slow motion, it's like if you played in real time, you can make the case for his foot being on the line like on the is he on the line but when you slow it down it you can it's i i don't think there was enough to, make, to overturn it and but it's what we got to live with at the end of the day but it is what it I, is at this I point. don't think it i obviously like the points in terms of it you can make the argument that would have made or break the game but i think if if that still counted i don't think at the end of the day that would have cost them the game or won them the game oh yeah no it was way too early in the fourth quarter for it to actually like have a impact on the end of the game because there were plenty of opportunities like i mentioned they shot they shot 20 percent in game seven they had 30 sh- three-point opportunities and attempts you telling me that they couldn't have made two or three more throughout the game so that that play wasn't the focal point in the center to where it was you know co- talked about even a day after now it's it is what it is at this point but yeah 
I've never seen that, I've never seen something like that before ever. A guy that we touched on there a little bit, Tyler Harrow. A big question coming into this offseason. He's eligible for a rookie extension this year. He still has one more year in his rookie contract before he becomes a restricted free agent. But he's up, he's up for an extension this year, and there's there's talk of him getting the max. I want to know your opinion firsthand as a Heat fan. Does yeah. Tyler Hero deserve a max contract? In my eyes, after three years, right? Three years in the NBA. Yeah, three yeah. years in the NBA. I don't think he deserves the max contract. I think he deserves a new contract maybe like three years, like 30 to 40 million, something around there, maybe a little bit more, but he showed promise as the sixth man of the year this year after having ooh, hit my mic after having an awful and disruptive sophomore year in the NBA. And it was very obvious in the series that he was out that his opportunities in to create off the dribble was a huge loss. And part of the reason why the heat weren't able to keep up with the Celtics and that bench scoring that we talked about the secondary scoring. And because of that, they had to rely more and more on Jimmy Butler. And when Tyler hero got drafted or a few months after he, Pat Riley was asked about hero's future. And he said, he wants Tyler to be a focal point in the team going forward. And obviously things, things can change in the NBA. We all know it's a business and stuff like that, but for the time being, I think that Tyler hero deserves like, contract and more money because obviously he showed up and showed out in his rookie and his uh, third year to get all rookie honors and six man of the year award but I don't think he deserves the max in my eyes but he definitely deserves to get paid after the two out of the three years where he absolutely dominated and was the leading scorer for the heat in this past year with 20.7 points in the regular season yeah, I, I think it's a case where we could we could see him getting a contract similar to something like uh, Jalen Brown has right now. Obviously, he's not in my eyes. He's not the player that Jalen Brown is. But given the inflation, given given contracts going up over time, I think I think Jalen Brown's on a four year, hundred and six million dollar deal, something like that. So I think if we see if we see Tyler Hero getting four years around like hundred ten, hundred fifteen million, somewhere in that range, I think that's that's a very very doable contract for the Heat, very acceptable contract for Hero. I don't think. I mean, he's obviously a guy with a lot of confidence in himself and a lot of pride, but I don't think he's a guy who would consider himself to have the max. And I see yeah. him as a guy who would want to stay in Miami regardless. He seems like a heat type player. Yeah, and it's kind of a lot like the Steelers, and that, that might be part of the reason that I am a Heat fan, is that they they have like a certain culture that no other like team or organization has in the entire league where they just want guys who are going to fit into their culture. They're not going to change because of one person that they bring in that, you know, Pat Riley's built this thing where it's about the team and it's never about you. And it, in, with Tyler Hero growing up in that program for the last three years, I would hope that he'd realize long enough now that, okay, yeah, it's not about me. It's about winning championships and putting banners up in, in the arenas. And for him to realize that at such a young age, really, because at the end of the day, I think he's only like, what, 21, 22. He came in at like 19 or 20 years old. And for him to realize that it'd be showing a lot if he took like less of a deal than what people might've expected to stay in the heat. And, you know, like I said, bring banners back to Miami and championships. Yeah. I think, I think you just look at the the makeup of that roster now and I, I can't find the graphic that I saw the other day. I don't remember what account it was on, but it was like, it was looking at where all the guys on this heat roster are like are from. And they have like two or three first round picks on the roster. They have like five or six undrafted guys they have a couple of second round guys. They have a bunch of guys who spent time in the G League. I mean, I think Victor Oladipo is the only guy on the roster who was a top 10 pick. 
Yeah, he's the only top 10 pick because Tyler Hero was 14 and Bam Adebayo was 13. But all three of those guys were lottery picks. But outside of that, it's um, all of those guys are undrafted. Jimmy Butler was, what, like 28? Yeah, he was in the late first round, early second round. Yeah, I'm trying to find I'm trying to find it right now. I don't I don't remember where I saw it. I just remember like it it kind of shocked me a little. Oh, bit. here it is. The NBA posted it. Yeah, so the, I just scrolled uh, Jim, through their whole Instagram and I didn't see it. I found it on Twitter. So Jimmy Butler was the 30th overall pick. Kyle Lowry was the 24th. PJ Tucker was 35th. Uh, Bam Adebayo was 14. Tyler Hero was 13. Victor Oladipo was second. And then Gabe. Gabe Vincent, Dwayne Dedman, Udonis Haslam, Duncan Robinson, Caleb Martin, and Max Struess were all undrafted guys. So that's what, one, two, three, four, five, six. So more than half of their team is undrafted guys. Just the player development and player like research that they do down in Miami is absolutely insane. And it's showing off because they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals the last two out of three years. Yeah, that's that's another thing like transitioning into our preview of the finals here because I know we want to get into that. Yeah, uh, I think I think it was the NBA that posted it today as well. Just looking at how many guys in that Warriors roster have spent time in the G League. Did they post that too? I didn't. Yeah, see that. we're we're just doing a little bit of an Instagram recap today, <laughs> but I, I I just think it's like it's it's interesting because like Gary Payton Jr. He spent five years in the G League. Jordan Poole yeah. spent time in there. Jonathan Kaminga was in there for two years. Kevin Looney spent a year in the G League. I mean, it's it's kind of incredible when you look at their roster and you look at how many guys they've developed in 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 santa cruz and how many guys they've that have spent g league time and they've made it to the nba and it says a lot for that warriors team as, as well as it does for the heat in terms of development yeah jonathan kaminga moses moody gary pay and all those guys who are contributing now with the golden state warriors all started in the g league and it's it's awesome it's awesome to see that teams don't necessarily have to rely on the draft like other other uh, organizations and leagues do like in the nfl and the in the uh, mlb and the um the NHL, but it's, it's a uh, great to see that the players are working their way up to the league and, you know, they're showing up and showing out when they need to most. Yeah. It's also a case where it's, it's a two, two round draft. So you got, oh, yeah. you, you have to make the most of what you have there. And, it, and some, some guys are going to find, come through, you're going to find diamonds in the rough out there somewhere. And those are, these are two great examples of teams who have done that. Yeah, definitely. Do we want to move on now? Touch on the finals a little bit. Yeah, let's touch on the finals real quick. You know, it's uh, it's a great matchup. I'm very excited about it. Um, you know, I'll let you take it because you know you're the big big Celtics guy. I'm just the guy wearing the shirt today. Yeah, it's it's number one rated defense versus the number two rated defense in the regular season. I mean, it's 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 two teams that have that have battled back hard here in the playoffs there's that neither neither of the teams have lost back-to-back games the Celtics are six and oh the Warriors are four and oh after a loss both of them I'd, I'd say the Celtics have had a harder road to the finals but both have had to go through tough teams I mean the Warriors had to go through the MVP and Jokic and then a, a I don't want to say a battle tested but a, a strong Memphis team that even without jaw they played really hard and then also uh, they had to go through Luca and the Celtics on the other side had to go through Kyrie, Katie and Kyrie, and then Giannis. And then this, the heat team was fantastic on defense to, to get, even get there. So I think it's going to be a great matchup, two teams that are great defensively and two teams that have potent offenses. Maybe you can make the argument one more than the other, but I, I think it's going to be a great matchup here. Yeah. In their regular season, they split one-to-one and before I get into like what I was thinking about the matchup, I actually saw an Instagram, like literally right before we came on that, Ime Udoku played against Steph Curry when he played with the Kings uh, during Steph's like rookie or second year. 
So it's kind of a full circle moment that now he's going to be coaching against him. But back to the <laughs> back to the game in the actual series now. So they, obviously they split one to one in the regular season, and I think the Celtics have had the edge from where they've come to so far in the in the um, coming up to, into the finals. Because you know, like you said, they played against the Nets where they had Kyrie and KD. They played against the Bucks where they had uh, to go three honest. They played against the Heat, like you said, who played great defensively, and. I won't discredit the Warriors and how they've played coming up into the finals, but they've had somewhat of an easier path. And we kind of said this about all the East, whoever came out of the Eastern Conference to go into the finals, no matter how they got there, they were going to be battle tested. You know, there's so many teams in the East that are as good, that are deserving to go to the finals, and as well as teams who may not be as talented, but are going to be able to put their head down and go to work and give give you a run for their money. But, you know, going into this final specifically, it's going to be a great matchup. You know, the biggest thing is going to be the matchups between player and players. I kind of wrote down, like, who I think would best match up against two based off the starting five. But, you know, overall, I think I'm going to go out on a limb right here and say, my like, who's going to win the whole thing? I think the Celtics are going to win in seven. I genuinely do think the Celtics can win in seven because, you know, they keep getting off to these fast starts in the Eastern Conference finals. And... It be- I think it benefited them when they went to the semifinals into the finals where, you know, the Heat finished the against the um, 76ers in five games and the Bucks, and the Celtics played the Bucks in seven and then went right in the semi- into the conference finals. You know, the Warriors have been resting for like if what it feels like an eternity now. They've been a beat- whole week off. Yeah, and a whole week off, exactly. And I think that's, that's kind of what hurt the Heat, and especially in that game one where they got off to such a slow start. And I think that it's probably going to happen the same thing with the Warriors, especially just in game one. But like the matchups that I had, like going into the game, is that obviously you're going to have Marcus Smart on Steph Curry. Uh, Jalen Brown's going to go up against Clay Thompson. You know, Jason Tatum's going to go up against Andrew Wiggins. Grant Williams and Draymond Green, it, we kind of talked about, is it, kind of like that PJ Tucker Grant Williams matchup they were, they were talking about with the conference finals. And then Kevin Looney and Al Horford and with Rob Williams mixing in there as well. Those are the matchups that I'm kind of looking for that I expect to happen. Although, who are we? We're just rising sophomores in college. Yeah, I think I think it's it's interesting that you you touched on the matchups there because it's 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 definitely my biggest factor in the series as well. Because I mean, you got you you touched on like maybe some of the main matchups there, but you have you have guys like I mean Robert Williams and Kevin Looney, come on Looney. That's going to be a massive matchup. Who wins the battle on the boards? It's two. It's two long guys with long arms who can grab offensive boards, who can really be big guys in the post there. And Robert Williams has been an X factor for the Celtics in the playoffs, the same way Kevon Looney has. And then you've got you've got Al Horford and Draymond Green. And I think I think you're going to see a lot of switching up and down the lineup for the Celtics here because they have guys who can play, can defend one through five. Al Horford, I mean, it's it's not typical for him to do it, but he can defend one through five. Grant Williams can do it. We saw him on Bam at points in the last series. Marcus Smart can do it. I mean, they have a bunch of guys who can defend up and down the lineup, so it's not going to be, I think, distinct matchups here. But I, there are going to be guys that we see on guys throughout most games, but I think the Celtics are going to do a lot of switching on defense to throw the Warriors off. Um, and then I think in terms of what you mentioned there for, like, the resting, I think that's something that people talk about a lot. Like, oh, they've had a week off. They're going to be very well rested. They're going to come out hard and be ready to play in this series. But I think – a lot of cases, like you mentioned, that's not the case. The team that's the team that's coming off short rest is usually the team that comes out playing better because they've 
they've they've played a game more recently they're they're more ready to to go back into the game atmosphere they haven't had so much time off they're still engaged they're still ready to play and i think i think that's something that that could be a factor here and obviously going into golden state them being the higher seed here in the series the celtics have won six of the last seven matchups in san francisco that they played in the bay so i think obviously the different beast here this is the nba finals but i think that's something that, that also you have to look at going into the series yeah, like you said, you mentioned it. We all mentioned it already. Like going into game seven, you know, people always talk about, oh, do you rest your players going into the games? Like, do having the rest help you or hurt you? And you know, we've kind of set, we've kind of seen it that the teams who have been finishing earlier before they get into the next round of the games have been not producing as well as they probably should have because they had all this extra rest. You know, the kind of adrenaline kind of carries over from series to series and I think the Celtics are in a great spot right now I'm sure they're feeling ecstatic when they win the conference finals on their opponent's home court like that's got to feel great and especially to get you know one maybe two games in San Francisco games one and two are there it's got it's going to boost their confidence and you know kind of going into that game the Celtics are going to kind of have to you know make the Warriors beat you in the half set like if they get in in transition especially in those first two games they're going to have to be that crowd is going to be electric and, you know, if they have to force them to make bad turnovers to, you know, kind of stay in the game and kind of keep the possessions down. And you kind of touched on it where, you know, they're kind of be, going to be switching on offense all the time. And with the style of offense that the Warriors run, that's going to be the easiest way to keep everyone contained in, in their offense, kind of, you know, controlling them as best they can. Obviously everyone's going to get their, said production with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green's going to score like two points and have like 20 rebounds or something crazy stat like that. But, you know, they're going to have to play great the exact same way that they did against the Heat, the Bucs, and the Nets. And if they can do that, I think they're, the series is in good hands for sure in the Celtics' favor. I think, yeah, I think you touched on a little bit there with turnovers. And turnovers are a major factor in the series. Both of these teams are teams that we've seen at times have very heavy turnovers that their offenses are very prone to turnovers. The Celtics maybe a little bit more in the last series, just because they're playing the Miami heat. who's are such a great defensive team, but the warriors in, in some aspects can create turnovers at the same level. And both of these teams are teams that love to create turnovers and get out and transition off of them. So I think, I think it's, it's a matter of whichever team can create the most turnovers has a better chance of winning the series. Yeah. And when they create, when, when they force those turnovers, they have to be able to, be able to get something out of them. Like, you know, the points off of turnover is going to be a huge stack heading into these this series where, you know, teams are going to have to try to steal possession or here or two every few minutes in the entire game and the entire series. And it's going to definitely going to go a long way. And then I think, I think in terms of another matchup thing that I wanted to touch on a bit, I, I think in the backcourt, I think the Celtics actually have the favorable matchup here when it comes to comparing this series to last series where they have Steph Curry over Jimmy Butler. And I'm not saying Jimmy Butler is not, is a better player than Steph Curry or anything in that aspect, but in terms of like defensive matchups, I mean, Jimmy Butler is a guy like the heat would just try to switch him onto Derek white off a pick and roll. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and you'd see him be able to out muscle Derek white to the, to the basket. And Derek white's a good, a, a fantastic defender in his own right, but he can't defend that well outside of the perimeter, especially with a guy like Jimmy Butler. And with, with Steph Curry here, he's not a guy who can attack to the basket as well as Jimmy Butler can. He doesn't try to do it nearly as much. He doesn't have that same muscle, that same intensity. 
And obviously you have to defend him around the perimeter. He's going to make you pay. But I think it favors the Celtics a lot here where they have Derek White, who's a great perimeter defender. They have Marcus Smart. They have Grant Williams. They have all these guys who they can throw at staff and they can throw him off. And he's not going to be able to drive to the basket like Jimmy Butler was. Yeah. And especially when they switch like Jalen Brown or occasionally Jason Tatum's and Grant Williams and really Marcus Smart because he's just an absolute dog. But like when they play against those bigger guys, when when Steph Curry plays against those bigger guys, he's going to have a lot of trouble trying to like, you know, create his own space because their arms are just so long. You might see like an occasional switch where like Robert Williams is on Steph Curry just because of the screens that they want in the matchups that they want to attack and hit the mic again. My God, really like talking in my hands. Um, But, you know, with Steph Curry wanting to be able to get his production and he's going to have to be able to not play a hero ball, but, you know, kind of follow the hot hand. And we've seen many times where he's able to do that, but he's definitely gonna have to be very conscious about it because, you know, he can't put the entire team on his back and, as much as people say that he can, you know, there's other guys who can get the job done, like Clay Thompson, like Jordan Poole coming off the bench, like Draymond Green, like I said, where he's going to get 20 rebounds, seven assists, and two points for the entire game. It's and they and they have Damian Lee coming off the bench as a streaky shooter as well. So, yeah, this is this is another thing where like in that Heat series, in in the Bucks series, even where the 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 Warriors have more scores than the Celtics have faced in the playoffs. Mm. They have Steph Curry. They have Clay Thompson. They have Jordan Poole when he's on. They have Andrew Wiggins, who's been pretty consistent throughout the playoffs. They have a lot of guys who can score. You mentioned Damian Lee there. So it's it's a matter of they have to be able to shut down all of these guys. They can't, they can't just double one guy, triple one guy like they were doing to Giannis at times. So but I think I think in terms of the matchups here, given that Curry is their best player and he's a perimeter guy. I think the Celtics are actually favorable in this matchup in terms of whether the, like if the Warriors had two dynamic forwards or something like that, who could just bully the Celtics. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things, one of the things that the Celtics might try to attack too, is like when Jason Tatum has the ball on the wing and like they ask for a screen with like Marcus Smart, who's being guarded by Steph Curry, where they try to, you know, get Jason Tatum and Steph Curry isolated. And obviously this, the Warriors are smart enough to obviously get the ball out of Jason Tatum's and Jalen Brown's hand to make other people beat him and not, you know, back Steph Curry down in. But that's probably something that they're going to be looking forward to, to, you know, win those matchups against a smaller Warriors team who, you know, they kind of had the same thing against the Miami Heat where they, a lot of times PJ Tucker was playing the five and against like Al Horford many times. Those are the things that they're going to try to be able to take uh, advantage of because like their shooting guard is Jalen Brown at like, what is he? Six, seven, six, eight. Somewhere around there, it's definitely something they're going to be able to take. He's six six. Okay, yeah, but still, nonetheless, they're going to be able to take advantage of that against the smaller uh, Warriors teams that when they bring in like Steph Curry, Damian Lee, all those smaller guys. Yeah, I think I think it's also for for the Celtics in that aspect. Like when Steph and when Clay are on the floor, Jalen Brown's probably going to be guarded by Clay, and mm. Clay Thompson was an excellent defender in his own right before he got injured, but he's not at that same level anymore. And Jalen Brown's been playing so aggressive in these playoffs that he's going to be able to drive past Clay and he's going to be able to get baskets. And I think that favors the Celtics in that aspect. Yeah, it's it, it's definitely going to be an interesting series for sure. And not to, you know, discredit the Warriors, obviously, because they're not a great team. But I think, the, like we've kind of talked about it a lot, the Celtics have this a great mass, matchup against them where the Warriors make. Obviously, when you look at it on paper, oh, you know, the Warriors have been shooting insanely well and Boston's been playing extremely well defense but when you really dive into it it's it's, uh looking to lean towards the Celtics more than Warriors at times but 
you know, we ha- we made our prediction that the Mavericks were going to beat the Warriors in seven and <laughs> see where that got us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously the Warriors have experience here. I think they have, I don't, I don't think they have like 140, I think combined finals games between that roster and the Celtics have zero. So experience could play a factor in the series. But I, I think, I think overall, I think Jason Tatum's made for big moments. He's going to come through. If Jalen Brown shows up, if he keeps playing aggressive, if Marcus Smart continues to play that lockdown defense and he plays smart on offense, if Al Horford continues to play that complete basketball that he's been playing, if Robert Williams stays healthy, I think, I think the Celtics do take this series in seven. And that's, that's not my, maybe my bias is showing a little bit that there, but I have a lot of faith in the Celtics team. And I, I think the matchups do favor them in the series. Yeah. And the Warriors like, can't, like I mentioned earlier with Steph Curry, like the entire team can't like try to play hero ball. Cause that that's going to hurt more than it is going to help them in the NBA finals. They're going to have to follow the hot handy. Like, you know, one night, Clay Thompson might go off for 45, 50 points and Steph Curry gets like his 20, 25 points, but you know, and the roles could be reversed in like another game in this series, but you know, they're going to have to follow the hot hand, even if Jordan Poole comes off the bench and goes for 30, 35 points in a game, which we all know he's capable of. It's just a matter of trying to play the team ball and they've been doing that. And that's how they got to this point. So why stop now in the NBA finals? Yeah, I, I think we broke that down pretty well, but there is one last thing that, that I Come would there, right? that I would like to mention here, and I would just like to give a shout-out to Al Horford for finally making his first NBA Finals. After, what, 141 games? 141 games. <laughs> now, NBA now record like, finally yeah, now, broken. Yeah, now it's his former teammate, Paul. Yeah, Mason, I was going to mention Atlanta that. Hawks. He's got, like, what, 130 I think, games? I think, I think that's it's, it's entirely because of just how many seasons the Hawks were good and they just couldn't make it past lebron yeah dean roush posted on his twitter about it. i'm gonna find it real quick i want to he posted the exact thing uh this, this all right here it is here we go here we go okay so most nba playoffs and never reached the finals paul Millsap's got 130 joe joe johnson who played with them on the hawks has 120 steve nash has 120 trey cummings at 110 and paul george at 108 uh, thanks, Dean Roush. I like your post as we're recording this. But um, yeah, nonetheless, you know, that Haw- Hawks team is good, but we won't touch on that anymore. Congrats to Howell Wilford. Let's go, baby. Yep. All right. I think we'll move into some more NBA news here. We, we obviously haven't talked for two weeks, so there's a lot of things that happened. I mean, uh, I mean, we can we can start with maybe the biggest thing, the NBA draft lottery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was watching that. right. Before, it was right before the Heat and the Celtics game. Um, it's very interesting. I think Orlando's gotten the, one of the top five picks and like each had a top five pick in like the last two out of three years or something like that. Obviously they drafted Cole Anthony, um, last, two years ago, but, um, yeah, I just looking at the raw at the lottery draft right here with the top 14 picks, there's a lot of teams who can make runs. And I know we're going to later, later in the summer, we're going to break down like the lottery picks and everything like that, who we think is going to go where. But uh, just looking at it, it's uh, makes things very interesting because obviously none of the teams that are in the lottery pick in the lottery top fourteen picks they didn't make the playoffs. But it's going to be interesting for sure. I don't know if you got to head on to this. Yeah, I think I think the Magic have a really big decision to make here. I mean, this is a year where there is no bona fide number one pick, and it's it's a question of whether they go they want a two way forward, whether they go a Jabari Smith Jr. Jr. or Paolo Banchero, or or whether they go for the the center they go for the big man they go for chet holmgren I, they have a big decision to make here and this this could very well shape their franchise for the future and they're a team that's obviously is 
been on the cusp of irrelevancy for many years. So they have they have a chance here to to really turn around their franchise if they pick the right guy in this situation. Yeah, and they the Magic drafted Jalen Suggs last year, who played with Chet Holmgren when they were at in high school together up in Minnesota. So they could could match him up with this former high school teammate right there. But they obviously don't need any more guards because, like you mentioned, they have Jalen Suggs and they have Cole Anthony. So whether they go with like you know that stretch, that small forward like Jabari Smith or Paolo Bancaro, or they go with a bigger guy because they all uh, they have uh, Mo Bamba as well. So they could rely on him more, kind of work him on the ball screens and stuff like that. So I, I could see them going as an early look, probably going with the Jabari Smith. I know you made a, a graphic for your um, for your visuals by CL, shout out. But um, the uh, I could very well see him going with either Jabari Smith or Paolo Bencaro, although it would be a great story to see them go for uh, go for Chet at number one. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd honestly, I'd rather see Chet go to the Thunder at two. I feel like that's a that's a very good situation for him to land in and a very good situation for this Thunder team. He's a, he's a pretty good supplement to Shea Gilgis, Holy Alexander and Josh Gaudet in the backcourt. They need that length and shooting. Obviously they have Lou Dort down there. He would pair, he would pair very well with Chet, I think defensively. And I think the the Thunder need a guy who has that length that I mentioned and a guy who can, who can shoot as a big man and he can do that. So I think he would fit in very well with that roster. Yeah. With a team that's, with... that's rebuilding and they have so many picks for the future. And he's a guy that, that could develop as that team looks to compete. Yeah. And they have two picks in the top 14. So they're obviously going to get two potential stars. And obviously we hope every high pick it's turns out to be that obviously every team does, but you know, they're, they might try to, you know, draft Chet at number two and then at number 12 go for like, you know, a point guard who can compliment uh, Shai Gil- Gilchrist Alexander. And, you know, it's it's a great opportunity by the Thunder to when they're in that rebuilding process because they already have Josh Giddy who who's like lighting up the NBA two months ago before the postseason started. Yeah, the, also, I think it's, it's cool to note here that the Thunder have had two second overall picks in their franchise history. Both of them are as the Supersonics, but both of those guys are Hall of Fame players. Wasn't it KD and Russell? It's KD and um, Gary Payton. Gary Payton, right? Yeah, those two, th- those two turned out to be pretty good. So, yeah. So uh, if, let's let's hope this this guy does the same for them. Yeah, if history repeats itself, the uh, number two pick should be in good hands. Yeah, and then also, and also at the 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 three spot with Houston there. I I really I really like the if they take if they take Paolo here he's a he's a guy like I mean you look at the Celtics this year with the success they've had with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and that that two guard that forward duo these these big guys and I think the Rockets if they take him and he does develop into the player if he does develop defensively and he does develop to be the player that that scouts and, and everybody is is expecting him to potentially be you could see a similar situation like that with him and Jalen Green where they have this this great shooting guard slash forward and forward duo that if they can build around them they could could really be competitive in this league yeah I kind of I like you know as a Duke fan you know watching him in that final four game against uh, UNC um, one of the things that he struggled most with was like consistently being motivated to play defense and I think that's one of his downfalls but obviously with time he's going to realize that he's going to have to play at both ends of the floor and just improving a more consistent three-point shot. And obviously, you know, he's going to be able to develop that down in Houston. And it's it's a great – it should be a great landing spot for him, but he's definitely going to have to do, 
work on his con- more consistent three point shot and uh, def- being more motivated defensively. Yeah. And then moving on a little bit, we'll go to a little bit of smaller news before we go to the bigger ones. Derek Favors opting in with the Thunder. Obviously, he's he's not at the same level that he was however many years ago. But <laughs> Derek Favors still still a pretty good role piece for the league. He's not he's not necessarily a guy who really factors into the Thunder long term plans here in terms of being a guy who's going to be there for the end of the rebuild. So maybe he's a guy that they look to trade mid season, but. I did, there's no reason for him to not turn down the $10 million that he's slated to oh, yeah. make this year. So it's kind of a no brainer deal, but he's, he's a guy that he's, he's still a consistent. I mean, he's not at the level he was before, like I mentioned, but he's still a consistent player in the league who can be that backup guy and get a couple points for you and get some rebounds for you. So I think, I think it's, it's a good pickup when you look at maybe trade deadline next season for a team who's looking to compete. Yeah, and especially, like you said, if Oklahoma City drafts Chet, you know, it adds a veteran presence for him going into his rookie year. And, you know, outside of Josh Giddy and Derek uh, Derek Favors and Shai Gilchrist-Alexander, there's not a single player that I can name on the Oklahoma City Thunder roster. And <laughs> having a player like Derek Favors, who's a veteran, he's going to be able to teach these guys, you know, whether he's not in the same position as them, obviously – it's going to be able to add to their locker room, you know, in that rebuilding process. Cause it's very obvious that they're in a rebuilding process. And uh, like I said, those top two, top two picks in the lottery uh, is going to help them tremendously. And now they have a veteran piece like Derek favors, who's going to be in for uh, the time being. Unless, of course, you, like you said, he gets uh, traded in uh, near the NBA trade deadline. Yeah. I think, I think out of all the teams here, the thunder are definitely the, the best in terms of what it like that are rebuilding right now in terms of what their future outlook looks like, just given how many first round picks that Sam Presti has been able to get over the past five, six years, he knew at some point they were going to go into a rebuild and they're here now. And he's, it, it seems like every trade the Thunder make, they somehow swindle a first round pick out of the team. I think they got one in the Derek favors trade originally, like two years ago when they got him from the jazz, when the jazz were trying to dump his contract off. So it's, it's, they're in a good place in my mind. They don't, they don't necessarily have the star power now, but they're, they're building guys. They have guys who are going to be good and they're going to develop well into the future. And I, I have full faith in the Thunder organization and this team. Yeah. It's kind of like what happened with Cleveland where, you know, they were obviously in a rebuilding process after LeBron left. Now they got Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, and Evan Mobley, who are just young and upcoming players who, you know, we thought that they were going to be able to squeeze by in the play-in tournament, be able to play in the playoffs. And it's, a t- it's they're, the Thunder in the exact same situation. Obviously, it's not happening at the same time, but down the road, we could see something like that, what the Cavaliers are starting to do. I think I think the Cavs are going to be a fifth or sixth seed in the East next year. I don't think yeah. that's that crazy to say. I think they could sneak up into fourth even. Yeah, definitely, especially with, like, Kevin Love, who obviously isn't as good as a player as he once was, but – can still stretch the floor out and be able to allow the other guys to create and get, get their production. It'll be interesting if they, if this, in this off season, if you see them make moves to get better and guys to really look to compete with the young guys that they have now. Yeah. It, it's a lot of, a lot of moving parts all over the league. And, but that's what it's kind of grown to in the business of the NBA nowadays. And then now looking at a, a bigger, big man, Deandre ayton has been a pretty big topic over the past week, two weeks because he's up for uh, a max contract this off season. He goes into restricted free agency. Hold on. Let me look up his contract real quick. Cause I had this before. 
Yeah, we kind of talked about it a few weeks ago. We, I think we, we talked about it when the Suns got when the Suns got knocked eliminated. out, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he he he's he they they could either qualify him this season or sign him to an extension, and then he goes into restricted free agency. Well, this this summer, obviously, mm-hmm. but um, he he's up for I think it's a five year max worth 172 million, and it's it doesn't seem like he's willing to play for anything less than the max, and I think that's. It's it, it makes an interesting situation for the Suns here. Yeah, especially when they have guys like Devin Booker, uh, Mikel Bridges, who is starting to emerge as a premier defender, those types of guys. It's kind of going to have to look at their you know player development, uh, what their kind of future and envisioning is for the team if they want to keep DeAndre. And obviously, he's they drafted him high. I think it was the top three pick. In he was the, the first he, overall pick. He was the first overall. Okay, that's why I, was, I wasn't sure if he was first or second. But um. He, I feel like he should be still be a part of the organization. It's whether or not, you know, the Suns are able to give him the max and still be able to take care of, you know, Devin Booker and Mikel Bridges when the time comes. And I think they're going to be able to get the job done. Um, like you said, obviously, DeAndre is pretty firm on, you know, what he wants and he won't settle for much less. And uh, it's definitely a priority for the Suns this offseason. And um, we'll see where, see where it lands for sure. Come beginning of the regular season next year yeah i think it, it comes down to whether they really think he's going to be in their long-term plans obviously he's he's seen a lesser role last season and then he he got it a little bit more this season like more involved offensively in their scheme but he's not he's he's still not a premier offensive threat for them as as i mean as as weird as that is to say he's not like he's obviously a, he's a pretty dominant big man when he's on but he's not on a lot of the time then it comes down to whether you really want to give a max to a guy, even though he has that much potential to score, a guy that he's not a good shot blocker and he can't shoot threes as a big man, which is something that you want from a big man in, in today's NBA. Something that you need. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously he he's, he's a part of that young core and they don't want to lose him, but if he wants a max contract and especially given that the Suns and Robert Sarver is a pretty cheap owner, I think, I think, there's a there's a very good chance that I don't think he'll sign the qualifying, but I think there's a chance that we see a sign and trade or something of that sort here. Yeah, it's it's definitely a interesting point because you know DeAndre and wants all this all this money and wants the max deal, but you know his production hasn't quite necessarily shown to be qualifying for the max deal that he said he wants. So, like you said, the owner's fairly cheap and likes to move on pretty quickly if he doesn't seem fit, but. You know, it's definitely gonna be interesting in the offseason. Yeah, now now moving on to one of the last pieces of news that we have for the NBA here. The Lakers finally found their guy. They got their coach. They signed Darvin Ham from from the Bucks, Bucks assistant for a number of years. He's been with Mike Budenholzer for a long time. He was with him in Atlanta. He was with the Lakers organization as a developmental coach back in the early 2010s. I, I really like this hire for the Lakers. I don't know what, what your thoughts on it, but this is a guy that I really like for the Lakers. He's he, he's a guy who's beat all the odds. He was the 10th man on his high school roster, and he made it to the NBA. He went Juco, and then I, I, I don't entirely know where he went after Juco, but he, he obviously made the NBA, spent eight years in the NBA, was an NBA champion. He's a hard-nosed competitor. Everybody that, that talks about him loves the guy. Giannis said he's a great fit for the Lakers. I, I like him. I, I like him as as the Lakers coach. He's a guy who can really um, turn around their dysfunction. He's a guy that I don't think will take a lot of crap. 
And obviously that's something that the Lakers have a lot of right now. And I'd, I'd, I'd like him as a fit for this organization. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really know who he was until he got hired. And, you know, kind of just the stuff that you've been going off of, you know, when you talk about like a hard-nosed coach who doesn't want to – who isn't going to take a lot of crap from anyone, I think that's something that the Lakers are kind of going to need, especially with all the many personalities that they have on the roster, especially – obviously you have LeBron, you got Anthony Davis, you got Russell Westbrook, and I think he's going to be able to – he should be able to like tame – not necessarily tame, but like control to where the point where they're playing team basketball and the Lakers are getting back to where they're winning, you know, consistently because obviously they missed the playoffs this year when you have, you know, three all-stars, three bona fide all-stars every year, year in and year out. And for them to not make the playoffs is definitely an area for concern. And to bring in a guy like this is definitely going to help. And it should be a great hire for the Lakers. Especially considering that Russell Westbrook very well may be still on that roster mm-hmm. when it comes to next season. So I think, I think he's a guy who will be able to work with Westbrook, the, 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 as as the Lakers old coaching staff maybe wasn't able to yeah and I think I wasn't sure exactly what happened but I know Frank Vogel the former Lakers coach couldn't really necessarily handle or control or whatever it was with Russell Westbrook to be able to handle all the emotions that he had and the opinions that he had because obviously he's not a guy that's going to hold back on anything but Darvin uh, is the new head coach is definitely going to be able to I think he's gonna be able to do that in the little bit of knowledge that I have about him yeah, now moving on um, to a, a little bit of news that we had written down here about Zion, that he's been cleared to play for the Pelicans next season. He's been fully cleared to practice and play now. And then just today, there's other news that broke that the Pelicans aren't willing to offer him a, a full guaranteed deal for five years, uh, which I feel is completely understandable. But I'll go to you first for your thoughts on Zion. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see what we're going to see obviously when it comes regular season next year because you know there's been many posts about on duke's uh team when he was there at campus for a few days when you know there's seen videos pre-game when the pelicans were still in the playoffs it's gonna be interesting to see if we're gonna see like a leaner lighter more toned zion williamson where coming into the league he was more like 285 and you know he was super athletic but has his wearing and tearing down on his knees at such an early career is so early in his career and it's gonna be able to see if uh if he's going to be able to sustain that longevity with the stuff they've been doing with them in the off season. And you have a great opportunity with New Orleans with him finally coming back. You know, they got Brandon Ingram, obviously, and Zion Williamson. They got a lot of small pieces of guys who love the fight. Uh, we saw very clearly in the Phoenix Sun series against the Pelicans. Um, so it took him long enough, but finally set excited to see him play, but don't do anything in the offseason where you're going to get hurt again, please. We, everyone, I think the entire league wants to see him play, but he just got to stay in shape and stay healthy. Yeah. I mean, obviously, he didn't play last year, but the year before he was an all star, in before he got injured, he 27 points a game, seven, seven and a half rebounds. He's a guy that when he's healthy, he can play and he can be dominant. And the Pelicans have a history of having dominant big men in that, on that roster. They had, I mean, watching for the short time that Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins were on that team, that was one of the most dominant big men duos that I've ever seen. So I, I, they definitely have pedigree to have that. And if, if Zion can return to form and if he can be healthy, I think he really can help this team win. And if he can have a, a, a consistent, healthy season here, I feel, I feel like this team will have no problem in offering him a max. Yeah, and I, do they have – yeah, they even have a top – they have the number eight pick in this year's uh, draft lottery. 
from the Los Angeles Lakers. So they're going to be able to add more pieces into this offseason as well to even make them a better candidate for when playoffs come and they're going to be able to show up and show out when it matters most. Yeah, I think you could definitely see them adding a guard in the draft here. Maybe somebody like Johnny Davis from Arkansas or a guy like that. Just just somebody who can really help facilitate for this team and, and guys that are smart and can move the ball well. And if Zion's healthy, then this team is is a team that you can you you can watch out for in, in the future. I mean, obviously they didn't have a above 500 record record this year, but they won two play on game playoff games. They made the playoffs. They gave the Suns a run for their money. So I think mm-hmm. if you're a Pelicans fan, you're excited for the future. Yeah. I know I am. You know, I'm not even a Pelicans fan. <laughs> you're a Boston fan today. Uh, well, okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you that one just for the time being, but you know, once, once the late June hits, we'll go back to South beach. <laughs> I'll take my talents back down to South beach. And now we're going to move into the NFL a little bit. There's been a a decent bit of news over the past two weeks. So we'll touch on each of these things a little bit quickly. I think we'll start with the Colts here. They've had, they've made a couple, actually a lot of this news is like, there's, there's a bunch of little pieces for, for several teams altogether. Starting with Mm -hmm. the Colts, they signed Philip Lindsay to be their backup running back. This is a great move for the Colts. In my opinion, I'll go to you first for your thoughts though. Yeah. I didn't really see the need to be honest with you with the pickup with Lindsay when you already have Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Hins I think it's how you pronounce the name I apologize because they became that one-two punch that led the league in rushing uh with the Colts last season but you can always be cautious uh with adding up a guy like Philip Lindsay who's a very downhill runner and is a one-cut guy especially with the running back position where it's constantly turning over and you're only getting guys for like two or three years and once you get injured you're pretty much done for the entire year depending obviously on the length of the injury, but I, it's a great move, but I think, you know, he's not going to get as much production as the Colts think, or they may find an interesting way to use all three of their backs with Jonathan Taylor and uh, Naeem Hems, Hins. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's never, uh, <laughs> Philip Lindsay is a guy that like, there's, there's never any issue with adding him to your roster. I don't know exactly for the money that which they signed him for. I don't know if that's been released yet, but I'm, I'm assuming it's not, for it's not that expensive of a deal considering how late in the offseason he's gone here. Um, but he's a guy who's like my, my favorite Philip Lindsay says that he's literally never fumbled the ball. Yeah. So that's adding always, a back, yeah. adding a back like that into your backfield is is never a bad thing. Like yeah. obviously they have Naheem Hines and they have um they have Jonathan Taylor, obviously, as their number one, one of the best running backs in the league was an MVP conversation last year. But adding adding Philip Lindsay can can't hurt this team. He's he's gonna be a guy who's he's gonna get you yardage when you need it. When you have those other two guys, maybe one of them gets injured, or you're just you're just throwing guys at a team if you're trying to beat their scheme. So I think I think that this is nothing to go really wrong with this move for the Colts. Oh yeah, I wouldn't say anything is going wrong. It's just a little you know adding a position player where you know you already have one one or two guys who you're gonna be relying on much, but. Like you said, he's never fumbled the ball, which is always a great thing to hear when you're running back for sure. Yeah. And then uh, staying on offense here, they also signed Nick Foles to be their backup quarterback. Yeah. It's the Colts are turning into a quarterback carousel at this point. You know, obviously they they've had five starting quarterbacks since Andrew Luck in 2018. Uh, they haven't had a new one each year. They had Phillip Rivers, Jacoby Brissett, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, and now Nick Foles as well. Um, they already had, like I said, they already had a veteran presence bringing that Ryan in. Uh, they, to be honest, they probably just needed him as more reliable, ballot tested 
uh, backup like Nick Foles is because they only the other two guys are Jacob Eason, I think it is, from um, Georgia, and Sam Ellinger, who are both like first or second years in the league. And, you know, to rely on somebody like Nick Foles is definitely going to be able to add to their locker room. And that de- definitely adds a veteran presence for sure. Yeah. I mean, for the, for the first time since Locke retired, like you mentioned, the Colts, they finally have stability in the quarterback room. They have Matt Ryan, who's, he's a consistent veteran. He never misses time for injury. And if for whatever reason, Matt Ryan does go out with injury, they have Nick Foles, who's obviously he's had struggles in his past couple seasons with the bears and the Jags, but he he's been a dependable backup in his career. He obviously wasn't Philly. He won them that super bowl. And, and now he's playing with a solid O-line for the first time since he was in Philly. So I think he has a great opportunity here for the Colts if he does get in-game action. Yeah, it seems like Nick Foles is kind of just following wherever Carson Wentz goes and kind of like, you know, <laughs> fixing his issues that he might have had with the previous team. So don't quote me on it, but you may, may see Nick Foles in the Washington Commanders uniform down the road a few years. But, hey, what, am I, what do I know? <laughs> and uh... – now we're going to we're going to go to Philly Carson Wentz's old team and talk a little bit about James Bradbury here. They added him from the Giants. Uh, he signed he signed with the rival Eagles in the NFC East, and he's he's forming a pretty formidable cornerback duo with him and Darius Sly. Yeah, the you know, the past five seasons, I saw a stat when, when the ESPN article came out about it. He had the second most pass breakups in the NFL behind Marshawn Lattimore, who plays for the New Orleans State. So it's obviously a great pickup by the Eagles. I'm surprised the Giants didn't try to try a little bit harder to bring him back. But it, like you said, it complements Darius Slay on the on the opposite side of the ball. And, you know, with the Cowboys who have, you know, such great offensive power at the wide receiver positions, they're definitely going to – They're de- I think they're definitely trying to match up with the guys in their division, um, you know, because, like, the commanders just signed Jahan Dotson. I drafted Jahan Dotson from Penn State, a great wide receiver. You know, you got CeeDee Lamb and the Cowboys, and the Giants have, you know, Sterling Shepard and – I'm probably missing another guy that they is pretty good, but nonetheless, I think they're definitely trying to match up the guys in their division because once you win in the division, you're obviously into the playoffs automatically. So great pickup by the Eagles. Yeah. James Bradbury is like the premier, like number two corner. Like he's yeah. a guy who you might not like, he, he could go out there and lock down your number one guy in a lot of situations, but he's, he's the perfect guy to have at number two where he can defend the two through four guys, depending on the package, depending on the routes that they're running. And he can really, he can get out in the short situations and play great coverage, but he's, he's really great in playing the ball deep. He can play the ball well in the air. He can win in contested situations. He can create a lot of turnovers in that aspect. He's, he's pretty good at mirroring routes. So I think he's a pretty good pickup for this, for this Eagles team. And I think there's just a stat that I wanted to mention here. And since James Bradbury came into the league in 2016, there are only two quarterbacks with 80 passes defended and it's him and Darius Slay. So I think that says a lot about the Eagles cornerback duo going into this season. Yeah, it's a, it's a great move by the Eagles. And, you know, they keep just keep adding pieces. You know, they like got A.J. Brown on the offense and now adding other defensive player. Uh, Eagles are looking scary, and that's not something I wasn't expecting to say in the offseason, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, the Eagles are – they maybe have the best offseason out of any team in the league. And Yeah, especially with the draft <laughs> they had this year. Yeah. Ooh. Crazy. And now we're going to move a little bit to uh, your neck of the woods. Steelers, I think it was last week. Yeah, I think, it was, GM. I think it was last Wednesday. Kevin yeah. Colbert obviously stepping down after the draft, but now they've, they've promoted Omar Khan to his former role as vice president of football and business administration. So I want to, I want to hear your thoughts 
on this move because I don't know much about the guy. Yeah, it. I didn't. To be honest, I didn't know much about him either. But I watched the press conference that he had after he was officially named, and you know he spent the last 21 years in the Steelers organization code. So obviously they love to hire within before you know going on the outside. There were 15 other candidates from what I heard uh, in the press conference, and they obviously went with what they thought was the best guy. You know, as the VP for Football and Business Administration, he dealt a lot with his salary cap. And it was kind of just a push in. It was kind of, you could looking back on it, you kind of almost say it was a shoe in for the role because he worked hand in hand with Kevin Colbert and Coach Tomlin when signing players to contracts because he was constantly dealing with a salary cap. You know, we always hear of the Steelers being able to work work deals out with each player in the salary cap and stuff like that. And it was because of Omar Khan that you know they were able to get players and resign players, the contracts and rework deals and stuff like that. And he said in his press conference that he's going to hire Steelers types of people. And I kind of mentioned it earlier when we were talking about the heat, where they kind of have this culture where it's unlike any other organization. I off the top of my head. And like I said, there might be a little bias, but there's no organization that I know of that prides itself on tradition and high standards of consistency. And the really the next one I can think of is the Patriots, to be honest with you. I was about to say that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, as I was, as I was writing this down, I'm like, you know, Oh yeah. It's definitely the Patriots. Well, yeah. You know, just the consistent football that they're able to play year in and year out is due credit to Kevin Colbert and now Omar Khan. So looking back on it now, it was, it was a shoe in and it's uh, going to be a very smooth transition for sure. And he's worked with Kevin Colbert for the last 20 years. So he basically knows the GM role, even though he's never officially held the title. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fresh face in a position, but it's obviously a guy who's familiar with the Steelers organization. So I think it's it's nice to get a new guy in that spot who can maybe shake things up a, a tiny bit. But I, I I think even in his press conference, he said it was it was going to be a pretty smooth transition from Colbert to him. So I think I don't think we'll see much change organizationally with this team. And this this isn't at the end of the day. This isn't as massive of a move as it, it might seem to be on paper. Yeah, and they, he said in his press conference, there's not much that he's going to change. There's stuff, different things that he wants to implement, but obviously he wasn't going to say that at a press conference, so other teams didn't know about it or tried to do their own version of it. So it's, like you said, it's going to be a very smooth transition and very excited to where he rolled because you kind of, as much as I love Kevin Colbert, you're kind of moving into like the new age, if you will, of, you know, GMs and people, old people who are consistent and, you know, brought championships to the teams. And you're kind of moving into this new era of guys who have been in the organizations and are now able to lead the teams to obviously winning Lombardi trophies. Now I think we'll move to our last few pieces of news here, all of which surround the Browns. I can't <laughs> believe we're talking about this right they, now, but yeah. I, they've I mean, been in the news a lot <laughs> the past two weeks. I think, yeah. first of all, the not the biggest move, but I think the the, the earliest news of the past two weeks was that they re-signed Jadavion Clowney. One year, I'm $11 million contract. He had 37 total tackles, 19 quarterback hits, nine sacks, and two forced fumbles last season. So he's obviously a great guy on that D-line to pair with Miles Garrett, and it's it's a great sure-up move for that Browns D-line on a defense that was kind of mediocre last season. So with, even without him, they, they would have faced a lot more troubles. Yeah, and although as, as much as I don't want to say it, you know, Jadavion Clowney with the Browns signing is a great sign for the team because obviously we mentioned it last year. It, it happened last year where they were complimenting him and Miles Garrett were complimenting each other. So that way they didn't have as much pressure or attention to them, which allowed them to produce more. 
Um, they only got him on a one-year deal because obviously he is only 29, but very injury prone. There's a lot of, I think it was a 10 million deer with uh, 750,000 in uh, sack bonuses. And it's a great move by the Browns. And it's going to be able to, like I said, compliment Miles Garrett to where they're going to be able to produce and wreak, wreak havoc on the offenses that are they're playing. Yep. And the Browns also extended tight end David Njoku. A little bit of a bigger deal here. Four years, $56.75 million. It makes him the, the, the fifth highest tight end in the league, I believe. Um, and he, he had a little bit of a resurgence last season. He had 36 catches for 475 yards and four touchdowns after having a bit of a rough season the year before. So, you know, obviously he has a new uh, quarterback in Deshaun Watson to throw to him here. So what are your thoughts on this deal? Yeah, I was concerned with it uh, with the deal because obviously you talked about it. He didn't have as much production over the last five years that he's been in the league. But like you said, with Deshaun Watson and in Kevin Stefanski, excuse me, wanting to play a lot of play action passes, you're going to allow the tight ends to be able to take the, David Njoku, be able to take the next step into his career. You know, I, to be honest with you, I thought it was a big risk of a deal because, like I mentioned, with the lack of production that he had over the last five years, but with a, as good of a quarterback as Deshaun Watson is and as good as Kevin Stefanski is as a coach, it allows him to step into that number one role after they lost Austin Hooper in the offseason to, you know, be the reason that the drafts, the Browns drafted him in the first round back in when they, when he was a rookie coming out of the league, coming into the league. So, yeah, great I move. Think he- He's he's such a physical freak and such like an athletic guy that I think like this is a contract that could very well pay off for them. They have weapons on offense now. They have Deshaun Watson to throw to him, and obviously they had Baker Mayfield before. But it's it's a new look for him. It's a new look in this offense. So I I think he'll find success here, and this deal will work out for the Browns. Yeah, and I think if he's going to want to keep playing, you know, with the with this new deal that he has, it's kind of it could it could give him an incentive to like earn his money that he got the extension but it could also be the the death of him where you know he's got all the money oh i don't need to produce as much but i don't think that's the way that the browns and kevin stefanski want to run that organization so it's definitely going to be an incentive for him with the new deal that he's got and then like we just mentioned there with baker mayfield a little bit of news this week that they the browns aren't planning to cut baker mayfield even if they haven't found a training a, a trading partner by training camp. Mm-hmm. It's uh, very interesting. I know Baker Mayfield's been very vocal about his time with the Browns and the fact that they brought in Deshaun Watson and that they're not cutting him is, or tra- trying to find a trade option for him is very interesting and um, could be a sign of, you know, there could be a little, what's the word I'm looking for? you know, heads butting in the QB room. But I, to be honest with you, I always like the kind of moxie that Baker Mayfield had to where, you know, he's very mature in the fact that he realizes the bigger picture of the situation and they could, they could use this as an opportunity for uh, Baker Mayfield to, you know, kind of sit back and like really learn the offense and learn from all the guys that are around him and, you know, maybe bring in like a special electric player or something like that, where he's lining up at the wide receiver and, you know, throwing down the field or something like that it could be could be a good refret reset button for uh the browns and baker mayfield for sure i don't i don't think we see baker mayfield take the field in the browns uniform again i think they might find a trade for him at some point or he's just mm-hmm. gonna end up sitting out i mean the the reason they're gonna trade him to the panthers and the reason that those broke down 
was because they out of out of his 18 million dollar contract the panthers wanted the browns to retain like 13 million of it yeah. So that, that obviously wasn't going to be acceptable for them. And I think, I think they're just going to wait it out and hope that a team is really like the Panthers maybe even is in a, a tight quarterback spot come preseason, come the beginning of the regular season, maybe not the beginning of the regular season. Cause I don't know if a team would trade for a quarterback that late, but is, is in a tight quarterback spot come close to the regular season and they're willing to make a deal. Yeah. I always, for some reason, I always like to be optimistic with when a situation like this comes up and I don't know why, to be honest with you. Because like you said, you know, like I mentioned, he's been very vocal about, you know, his situation, his time with the Browns. And I very well could see him not playing another down in the Browns uniform. But for some reason, I always like to be optimistic about these situations. I think that's I think, where we're, I think that's where we're going to wrap it up for this episode. Uh, you know, it's been an interesting week, uh, two weeks, really, since we last talked. But a lot of news happening. A lot of news is going to happen in the next two weeks because by this time, yeah. By the next episode, the NBA Finals will have been wrapped up and an NBA champion will be crowned. And obviously, NFL news is never going to stop because it's the NFL. Uh, you know, we thank you for tuning tuning in, guys. Uh, Cameron, you got any last words? Man, I am tired. Yeah, very it's tired. Like, it's like 1030 right now, but I am I am zonked. I'm ready to go to sleep. Yeah, I'll probably probably go from here and just jump right in into my bed behind me. But <laughs> we, thank, we thank you guys for tuning in. You guys can always find us on. Twitter at over the ledge 981 or is that the Instagram? But anyway, uh, on Instagram, uh, over the ledge, uh, WQAQ, uh, we'll be posting up, uh, stuff throughout the next two weeks just to keep you guys tuned with all of our content and we will see you guys in two weeks. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get it. Hop off a 16 passenger. This a G5. No, this not a challenger. Big one. I keep some members with me in the fridge. The coat seats. They some cannibals. Eaters. They like the geek geek. Drink a whole bottle. Wake up and repeat. She took a look. Mixed it with the chill out. Now she say she's saying 3D. Why? I go in the jungle and they got a coat. I bet I come out.